You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Intercepted. I'm Justice Mosqueda here for Acme Packing Company, and I'm joined by Mark Bollock. Say what's up to people, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Um, so on the front end, I want to plug uh, your Substack. Can you talk about the uh, work that you're doing there? Yeah, uh, so I, I break down the, the Washington football team uh, on the my Substack. It's markbullock.substack.com. Uh, and yeah, I just break down basically all of the terrible things that they do every week um currently and, and try to try to filter through what exactly they're doing wrong um and see if i can give some kind of analysis on on possibly how they fix things um or, or generally just kind of cry about how bad they are <laughs> so you're one of the most knowledgeable fans of the sport i think who is overseas can you talk a little bit about kind of how you got into the game because I, I really have very little perspective of like how non-Americans get into it. Like I know Mexico, uh, like how Mexico operates kind of, and it's like big teams, right? So it's like, you got like yeah. a, a lot of people think like Cowboys and Raiders fans and stuff like that, but you'd be like surprised how many like Packers and like Cowboys or uh, Steelers fans and stuff, you know, yeah. are, are in Mexico Patriots fans even too. Um, but outside of like, uh, you know, this this half of the world i guess like how, how do you get into football how do you kind of follow the game how do you get into it like where do, where is your knowledge base uh start from and, and build through like i don't understand that because me personally like i played the game i coach the game and that's sure. kind of how i know it but i understand like these structures aren't built everywhere no um i i, I kind of I kind of had a connection to, I, I lived in the States when I was younger for five years. My, my dad's job took us out there. Um, and, and so just before I turned five, we, we moved out there. And just before I turned 10, we moved back. So I, I kind of grew up with a bit of American culture uh, instilled in, in me. And um, I, it was kind of, I was kind of a little bit young to get into football at that point. I was more into basketball and a little bit baseball, a little bit hockey. Um and when I came back to England, I kind of naturally fell into the, the English sports. Um, but I've always been kind of a, a breaking down why things happen in sports. That That's always interested me. Um, like my dad was always kind of a shout at our oh, referee, what are you doing? Or what is this player doing? And that, that kind of thing. And that kind of irked me. And I was like, well, maybe there's a reason they're doing that. And, and so I, I kind of tried to take a little bit more of an analytical approach of, well, why does that player do this thing? And, and maybe that wasn't his fault that you're, sh and you're shouting at him incorrectly. So um, in like football or sorry, soccer, our football over here, um, it's kind of a fast flowing open game. So it's not as easy to kind of break that down, that kind of thing. Whereas um, American football, your football is every single play is scripted. It's um, 
it's designed specifically for a reason and each player has, an, has a specific assignment to do on, on each play and that kind of thing. So it lends itself to that kind of approach. Um, and I can, I think when I kind of got to sort of 18, 19, I, I kind of was drawn to that sport because of that approach. Um, and so at, at that point, I kind of naturally followed kind of Washington because that's roughly where I was uh, where I lived when I was out there. So I kind of fell into the Washington teams and um, kind of wishing I, <laughs> my dad had lived somewhere else to, to follow a somewhat better team, but um, you know, that, that is what it is. So yeah, I, I kind of just, I've always kind of taken that approach to sports and, and the, the NFL kind of lends itself to that. And I guess from in terms of learning my, where my knowledge base comes from, uh, it comes from following people like yourself uh, and and other good writers and and coaches and and reading as much as I can, watching as much as I can, um, and, and kind of just always asking why is that player doing that thing um, and within what structure is he trying to do that thing um, and kind of going from there um, and over time. Um, I've been fortunate that there's been some pretty good coaches in Washington as well, guys like Carl Shanahan and the, the Sean McVeighs and uh, the Floors and all of that have been in Washington. So I've kind of grown up with that offense. That's kind of all I knew until the, the last few years. Um, so I, I kind of didn't realize just how spoiled I was by learning the, the, those kind of offenses and that kind of concepts and, um, and how football works via that. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's come from just – years of being a kind of a sports nerd and, and wondering why and watching plays and spending far too much of my spare time uh, trying to learn the game. So out there, do you think that they will be able to support like an NFL franchise in like a traditional sense? Obviously right now, right? They can do the whole, the NFL's coming into town. Everyone packs the stadium. Uh, they cheer too loud for the field goals and uh <laughs> And, you know, the, you look at the crowd and it's just a, a cluster of jerseys. Just yeah. it could be anyone. Right. You could yeah. be like the Jets Falcons game. And there's people there with like Browns jerseys from like the 90s and stuff. For sure. And I know like, you know, specifically kind of like how Europe looks at like soccer, uh, soccer teams. Right. Like they're very they're very entrenched into the local areas in ways that like NFL franchises don't necessarily uh, aren't, I guess I would say yeah. um, in that, like there's pushback against like the super league and stuff like that. Right. So sure. if the NFL comes into town, it is kind of that super league type of atmosphere to a certain extent. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't have that same type of, you know, the locals got together and they built this football club a hundred years ago. Yeah. And now it's in the premier league. That's, that's not what's happening. It's no. you're being anointed. So would they be able to kind of support, you know, eight home games for, for one single franchise? Do you think there's, there's like a market for that right now? Uh, I, I think it might be getting there. I, I don't know. The thing is, I, I think that there's, there's kind of two generations of NFL fans because the NFL first started getting popular here uh, in the kind of nineties. It first started getting shown on TV. Um, and that's why there was a lot of Washington fans here initially, because it was early 90s, Washington won a few Super Bowls, or they won one at the start of the 90s, end of the 80s. And um, and there, there's different fans from that era. And then there's fans from the newer era when they started bringing games to London. Um, and as you say, like the London games, it, it's not a, a huge amount of Jags fans going to watch the Jags. It's 
just basically an event for NFL fans around the country to basically gather and, and meet other NFL fans and hang out and have a fun afternoon. Um, and I mean, they sell out every single week. So I, I, I think they could certainly pack a stadium um, every week for eight weeks. Um, I don't think that's out of the question. Um, I don't know how many people would change their allegiances because as you say, kind of the culture here is once you, once you're set on a team, that's your team. You're not changing teams. And I think that's kind of universal, right? Like you don't change teams unless there's some huge thing that causes you to like, they, they stop existing or they move town or whatever. Um, uh, so I, I don't know how many people would jump ship, but I think a lot of people would kind of take interest and be like, well, there's a, there's a team in London now. So that'll be my second team and I'll, I'll watch them because they're here and I can actually go see them. Um, but I'll, I'll still be a, a Washington fan or a Patriots fan or whatever, you know, um, I, I think, I think there would be a market for it. I think they could sell it out, whether they would uh, have the kind of rabid fan base that you might get out of there, out there. I, I, I don't know, but, but you could argue that two teams in LA, they're not getting the, that kind of rabid fan base, but they're, they're making enough money off of it to be all right. So uh, yeah, it's kind of, I kind of think they probably could make enough money out of it to justify it, but, I don't think they would get the huge rabid fan base that, that they might be hoping for. Right. And, you know, talking about this team that you're covering right now, Washington, uh, what I think they're a pretty good example of a team that realizes kind of how the league structure works in terms of collective bargaining, right. Where their attendance is super low, incredibly low right now. Um, it's like 62% attendance and that's including like the Sean Taylor day, which was also, Patrick Mahomes is coming into town. That's about like, I think that's 20% less attendance um, than any other team in the league right now. And it's like 30% less than like all, but like three teams and the other three teams are not very good at football right now. Um, The big difference, right. Is the NFL ownership has structured how the collective bargaining works. So like ticket sales can be collective bar, like the revenue split, right does go across the league to a certain extent what doesn't go across the league is the boxes the luxury boxes which is why you're why you're seeing every single nfl stadium now looks at AT at&t what they what they built um you know jerry built in in dallas right now sure every team looks at that as like the blueprint where they're like oh this is how we keep money from mike brown of the Bengals, and this is how (laughs) we keep money from mark davis of the raiders like this is how this is how we can keep our own money in our pocket um locally so i think that's kind of interesting speaking of this team um you said you know people don't change teams unless you know something massive happens uh washington (laughs) washington seems like they're they're going through a little bit of that type of transition right now so i'll give you my perspective on these emails first and foremost and then i kind of want to get your thoughts i thought it was very convenient at the front end that the stuff about Demora Smith leaked out a day before the they had the vote for the NFLPA. I thought that that was very weird. Um, I couldn't tell kind of where this stuff was leaking because obviously there's only a handful of people who have these emails, right? The league must have had it because of the investigation. The Washington football team must have had it. And then obviously the original owners of those emails, right? I mean, Bruce Allen has knows, you know, what he said, right? So there, yeah. there's only so many places that this can go from. At the front end, I thought, this is probably coming from the league, right? Information doesn't come out by accident. Someone wants you to know it. Um, 
on the front end, I thought, you know, this was maybe the league trying to get out of the Washington investigation by saying we got someone right. And then on the front end, the influencing a vote on who runs the, the union for the players, that would be a massive deal, right? Like that's, that's a massive conflict of interest. If you're able to do that in literally America's largest publication, which was the New York times. Um, it seems as this is unraveling, it is not coming from the league because now the league's top lawyer is tied into this. And I don't understand why they would want to kind of shoot themselves in the foot in that way. Right. So I really don't know where these emails are coming from. Um, what, what's kind of your perspective on all of that? Cause I'm trying to make sense of all this and with what I have. And again, I'm looking at this from like, you know, 30,000 feet up type of view. Yeah. Uh, it's not making sense to me. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, difficult to really put your finger on um there's some theory in washington and around washington people that um the emails have come out as part of a of a thing between bruce allen and and dan snyder and bruce allen was obviously the team president in washington for a decade and um he was kind of best buds with dan snyder and and um he was his right-hand man and, and then there was kind of a messy divorce at the end of it and uh supposedly there's been legal battles between the two of them where um bruce allen was was trying to get the other owners the other part owners of the washington football team to uh overthrow snyder or you know have leaked stuff leaked about snyder um and and get him forced out by the league and, and so the the whole thing with snyder buying up the the remaining ownership of the team uh, and becoming the majority, well, the hundred percent owner um, uh, a few months back kind of played into that. Um, and then, then there's this legal battle going on between Snyder and Bruce Allen, where um, supposedly Snyder wanted some emails from Bruce Allen leaked or public. Um, and I, I guess that these are part of that. And, and I guess it's to kind of show that, I don't know, maybe that Snyder's trying to pin the blame of stuff on, on Allen and the culture of stuff on Allen and, and anything that could get him legally in trouble on Bruce Allen rather than himself. Um, and, and that's kind of the way those two have always operated in Washington is as they've tried to find the, the best guy they can to pin all of their troubles on and, and get that guy fired or, um, you know, pushed out the door um, and, and pin the blame on them. And, and so it would not surprise me one bit to see those two dragging the NFL through a, a big legal battle between them and, and trying to pin the blame on, on each other. Um, that, that would be, I guess, where all of this is kind of coming from, but I couldn't say for sure. That's definitely where it is. Yeah. I've read a theory um, a couple of days ago that because there is, there was a report from India that Dan yes. Snyder is somehow linked to like Jeffrey Epstein and stuff like that. And, oh, okay. And that like, so Bruce, so Bruce Allen, you know, obviously from like the Adam Schefter stuff that came out, right. Like he is kind of a source, you know, yeah. a lot of times and it seems like he's trying to link him to that and like trying to like distance himself from Jeffrey Epstein, which is probably a smart thing to do in 2021. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just so many, just his story just keeps getting weirder for me. And it's just very odd. Um, talking about this football team specifically, you know, there were rumors this week that, you know, Washington was in part of a three-team trade 
that would end up sending Deshaun Watson to Miami. And then they in return would end up getting to attack of Iloa. Um, the team, someone from the team leaked to the media that that is not the case at all. Um, so obviously that was just kind of like a rumor, but I think the truth that was told in that is that like Washington doesn't have their franchise quarterback right now. Um, you know, Brian Fitzpatrick was going to go into the year as a starter. He's on IR with that hip injury. Um, I'm not necessarily sure when he's going to return from that, but then, you know, Taylor Heineke is, is the starter right now for Washington. And he, we actually had him in uh, the XFL. He was our backup actually in, in St. Louis when I was working for them uh, in the league level personnel department. Heineke, Heineke was one of the best quarterbacks in the XFL. We just couldn't figure out a team that would take him and make him a starter. Cause essentially the way that we had it structured was we gave every single XFL franchise a starting quarterback. And that guy basically got paid more than everyone else. Right. Like right. Th those were individual contracts. And then we had the draft pool, which was everyone essentially gets paid the same. We had like escalator bonuses for wins, um, sure. which was something different. For the XFL, basically, if you won a football game, you got paid twice as much. That's kind of okay. how we, in we incentivized uh, winning with the XFL. I know they did it the first time around in like 2000 or whatever. Um, completely different XFL organizations right. other than the top man. But it's a thought that, you know, Vince liked, so we kept it. Um, Heineke was a guy that we very much wanted to start. There were probably three starting quarterbacks going into the XFL season we knew Taylor was better then, but for whatever reason, those coaching staffs, they didn't want him, and they're running their own team. So we can only tell them so much, you know what I mean? But sure. the fact that he stuck on with St. Louis, um, I thought was really good. Even when we looked at his practice reps, our, our, he was kind of like our, our get out of jail free card. We're like, if a quarterback would have gotten hurt, we would have been able to convince a team to trade him in some sort of way and get another starting caliber quarterback so that sure. a quarter of our games weren't unwatchable, right? That was kind of our plan with him. And then obviously Jordan Tamu um, did great with the St. Louis Battlehawks and he ended up getting, uh, I think he was on the Chiefs practice squad for a while. Um, he should still be getting uh, developmental reps somewhere. I really like what Jordan can bring to the table, but Taylor, I mean, has stepped up, um, has played not bad. I mean, he's not going to give you the explosives, that, you know, you would think of like your traditional vet starting quarterback in the league, but he can kind of operate on time, right? Yeah, he's um, he's been an interesting one because he, he's been a very much a roller coaster ride where he, he um, he'll have the some good games and some very bad games uh, and you never really know quite where you sit with him. Um, and, and the comparison that people are making with him is is Ryan Fitzpatrick because um, he'll, he'll give guys an opportunity um, to go and make a play. Um, and sometimes that will work and it'll pay off and it'll look good. And, and you'll have a, a 300 yard game with three touchdowns and no interceptions and, and being with a chance of winning it. And other weeks that will be a uh, hundred yards and four interceptions. And so um, that's kind of where we're at with him, where he's played a couple of tough teams, uh, and I expect he'll be playing another uh, a tough tough team this week, and, and uh, we'll we'll see how he manages going forward. But yeah, he's he's been up and down. I, I think um, he he's actually not had too bad of a setup around him. The offensive line's been very good. The run game's been good when they've run the ball. Um, at receiver, obviously, I, I think we're going to get on to a couple of the receivers, but. Um, Terry McLaurin's obviously a stud um, and they, they've they had some other guys step up around him 
Um, and so he's had some decent weapons and, and some opportunities. Um, and when he has been kind of his natural self, he's, he's made some good plays. He's used his mobility to kind of scramble around and, and extend plays and, and kind of make things off script. Um, but there's been some opportunities, certainly last week that uh, against the Chiefs that he missed. And, and there there's a theory going around that um, they're coaching him to try to be a little bit more of a game manager than um, and take less risks. And that is resulting in him missing opportunities to throw the ball down the field. Um, I'm not sure I 100% buy into that, um, but he certainly isn't uh, just putting the ball out there the, the way he was um, earlier in the season. So you already touched on Terry McLaurin. So McLaurin and Samuel were both uh, did not practice yesterday. Um, recording this on, on, on a Thursday, maybe they record, maybe they uh, practice on this Thursday. Um, we're, we're doing this before noon Pacific time. So we don't have the injury reports yet. How big, I mean, it's obviously big, but do they have a chance to win the ball game? If, if those guys can't play or even if Terry misses the game, you know, do, do they have a chance? Is there enough explosive power offensively? Because, you know, Antonio Gibson, who's kind of like their explosive back too, if we're talking about, you know, a guy who can get 15 plus yard, you know, chunk plays and just move down the field. He's that guy and he's on the injury report too. So it's like all yeah. the explosive guys are the guys that they might be missing this week. Yeah, they, they have, they went into the season kind of with a core of guys that you thought they have a, a decent set of weapons. They had Terry McLaurin is, is fantastic. And I think he'll establish himself as one of the best receivers in the league. Um, Curtis Samuel is, is a, obviously a, a, a very dynamic threat. As you mentioned, Antonio Gibson um, is not in a too dissimilar role to Curtis Samuel, but he's a, he's a back rather than a receiver. Um, and Logan Thomas emerged last year as a tight end. Um, and Three out of, well, as you say, all four of those guys are on the injury report right now. Um, I, I'd be surprised if Terry McLaurin doesn't play. Um, Curtis Samuel has kind of been, he's been battling an injury all off season, um, and he didn't play for the most of the start of the season. Um, and they kind of got him back for the last couple of games, but he's been on a limited pitch count, and and they've gone over that, and they've kind of felt like he's not necessarily fully himself yet. So I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play. Um, Gibson's been battling a shin injury, so I, I, I don't know whether he'll play or not. He's made, he's made it through the last few weeks after not practicing, but um, he was noticeably kind of limping at the end of last week. So I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to rest him. Um, and Logan Thomas won't be back until next week because I think he went on IR. So, um, yeah, Terry McLaurin, if he doesn't play, I don't see where the production comes from the passing game. Um, they, they've had some guys step up. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones uh, as a tight end he, he stepped up in place of uh logan thomas uh they've got diami brown um the rookie from uh north carolina i think um he, he uh is a is a nice down the field threat but he hasn't quite gone the the same page as heineke so far this year um i don't know whether he would be able to replace terry mclaurin um it'd be a pretty tough job for him to do and, and then they kind of got a bunch of guys like Adam Humphreys and Dax Milne and, and that kind of thing that are, are decent players, but you're not going to get the explosive chunk plays out of them. So yeah, if Terry McLaurin isn't playing, then uh, I, I have no hope for Washington. I don't think Washington will win anyway, but um, if Terry McLaurin's out, then yeah, they, they, they will, it'll be a long day for me. <laughs> 
All right. Now that we've uh, covered our bases, uh, we're going to toss it to break and then we'll get more in depth on kind of these matchups. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and we're back with Mark. Um, let's talk about when Washington has the football, uh, first and foremost. So that offensive line, you said they've been doing good, um, but they're a little banged up right now. I know Cosme, Scherf, uh, Leno, all three of them are on the injury report too. Um, so not just talking about this passing game. Actually, let's start it with this. Adam Humphreys. So you're going to remember Adam Humphreys as the guy who got $40 million from the Tennessee Titans and then basically did nothing with it. I, I don't know if... <laughs> I don't know if any player has ever gone from like, I'm a producer. I got paid to just completely like falling out of like the thought of the general NFL base as much as him. How, how much is he doing for you guys right now? Cause you talked about him before the break, you know, yeah, he's a decent he's, player, but he's not he's, dynamic. No, he's not dynamic. He's a, he's kind of their, their slot guy. And in an, I think in an ideal world, um, they'd have Jeremy Brown playing the Z uh, Terry McLaurin playing the X and Curtis Samuel would play in the slot instead. Uh, but because of Samuel's injury, um, Humphreys has been playing the slot. And the idea was that Humphreys has a connection with Ryan Fitzpatrick. They, they both had their best years together in Tampa Bay. So uh, the thought was, is that he'd be Ryan Fitzpatrick's go-to guy, but obviously Fitzpatrick went down in the first game and uh, isn't due back until after the bye. So um, yeah, he, he definitely hasn't been on the same wavelength as, as he would be with Fitz, as he has, as he has been with uh, Heineke. So, um, yeah, he's not a dynamic guy. He's kind of one of those little shifty s- slot receivers that can pick up five or seven or eight yards here or there, but um, you don't rely on him for chunk plays. Um, yeah, he, he um, to your comment of he's gone from the guy that got 40 million to doing nothing with it, I would say look at just about any Washington free agent for the past 20 years and you'd probably see a lot of guys in a similar situation. Um, but yeah, certainly um, yeah, he's not a guy that moves the needle. Certainly uh, he, he, he's a, he's a solid productive football player, but he's nothing more than that. So one benefit Washington is going to have 
going into this game is the fact that Green Bay's pass rushing unit is banged up. Obviously, they just signed Whitney Merciless. He's at practice today. Who knows how much he's going to be able to um, get into the game? I mean, I don't. I don't think that it would be that hard to get a pass rusher, at least in situational reps, um, into the game off of a short week. Uh, you could look back yeah. at like Khalil Mack when he was traded from from the Raiders. They got him quickly turned around against Green Bay, and he basically only played pressure packages, right? Because you have to learn the verbiage and the checks and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think you can get Whitney Merciless some reps in this upcoming game, but the fact that they have three guys on IR uh, outside linebacker, including Zadarius Smith, that's a big deal in of itself. Preston Smith back-to-back days has not been practicing with an oblique injury. It really seems like he's probably not going to play. So you end up getting like two guys who pretty much don't bring anything off the bench. Garvin's done a little bit. Rashawn Gary, who's just a bull rusher and then limited Whitney Merciless snaps off of the bench. Right. <laughs> So that's that's kind of what these you know the football team is going to get. Um, so if they're able to hold on to that ball a little bit, are they, are they going to be able to get enough explosives? I guess a lot of that's dependent on the wide receivers being healthy, right? Yeah, for sure. If Terry is is in the game, then that that's absolutely a, a winning matchup for them. Um, I, I'm sure they'll try to look at, hit up dial up some stuff to uh, Deami Brown as well. Um, who was a kind of a deep threat in college and he has a little bit more to his game, but um, he's had a few struggles with drops, but they've been trying to hit some stuff to him down the field. They just haven't quite connected on that. Um, so I, I would expect them to try to take some shots with those guys, especially with, as you say, the injuries uh, with the, with the pass rushes um, and Washington's offensive line has been pretty good um, in both the run game and in pass protection. Um, you, you mentioned they did have injuries to uh, Cosme at right tackle and Brandon Sheriff, um, but they've had Wes Schweitzer step in at right guard. Um, and he was the starter at left guard last year. Uh, and they had, um, well, I can't remember the backup tackle's name right now, but he uh, started last year at left tackle and is now their backup swing tackle. So he's starting at right tackle now. Um, and, and those guys stepped in last week against the Chiefs and, and, and held up admirably. So um, I, I don't think pass rush will be too much of an issue with them uh, for them. Obviously, as you say, Packers are missing some guys. So I, I think that could be a chance for Heineke to hold onto the ball and let those down the field shots develop. Um, it's, it's whether A, Terry McLaurin's fit and healthy, ready to go, um, and, and B, whether they can scheme some, some stuff up with with Deami Brown um, and, and Terry together, um, which generally they're pretty good at. It's, it's whether Heineke can uh, can connect on it. Uh, just one note that I want to bring up. Uh, Jay Sternberger is uh, a tight end for you guys now. You guys signed him to the 53. Yes. He is infamous in Green Bay for being the pick before Terry McLaurin. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to put that on your radar. A I didn't of- know that. A lot of screenshots. Yeah, I know, because you're not, like, in the depths of, of Packers <laughs> fandom brain. There's been the amount of times that draft class, the 2019 draft classes, like, Wikipedia page, mm-hmm. with, you know, him being just one slot of head, ahead of Terry McLaurin, it's been screenshotted a million times and put on I'm Twitter. Sure. I just uh, want to put that on your radar. Um, the okay. last thing that I want to touch uh, – for, for kind of this matchup with, you know, Washington holding the ball because, you know, I think we've talked about their offense enough. Um, Darnell Savage uh, returned to practice today. He had a concussion. He's their starting safety. Um, he's very good in terms of, like, 
man coverage skills, um, not necessarily him playing man, but like, you know, match coverage skills is the same thing. Sure. His, his movement skills are great. He has ball skills, you know, even though, uh, uh, what's his name? Chase got him on one against the, uh, against the Bengals. Um, and then Kevin King uh, is practicing for the second straight day after having a, sh- a shoulder injury that's kind of kept him out the last two weeks. So hopefully they're getting a little bit more healthy on the back end. But the guy I wanted to talk about, Chase Ruye, the uh, center. So he's going to yes. need to come up big because Kenny Clark is having a legitimate Pro Bowl type of season since week one. He kind of had a rough start week one, but then since then he's been doing good. Chase was a guy I always liked. So he was the center for uh, Josh Allen at Wyoming. And if you watch that Wyoming offense, they kind of built their offense around Chase Ruye. Like they would run behind him. They would do pin and pull stuff that no one else would do with their center because of how athletic he was. And it shows up on film sometimes. I know it's been a little bit up and down, but how has he been playing this season? And how do you think he's going to hold up against Kenny Clark? Yeah, he's been doing really well this season. He's, he's really stood out to me. He, he actually got a contract extension in the offseason um, to, to be their, their starting center. And actually last week against the Chiefs, I, I think he was mic'd up or someone on the defensive line was mic'd up that was real near him. And just before every single snap, you could hear him making all the calls and it was, just, it was amazing for a nerd like myself hearing him making all the calls and um, identifying the mic and like he was doing all of that. They, they didn't put that on Heineke. That was all, all on Rulier. And, and so he, um, he certainly has a, a big role on that offensive line um, and he was rewarded with his contract in the off season and he's been playing up to it this year. They, they've been doing a lot of um, a lot more uh, sort of play action passes with a, with a pulling guard because they know Rulier can, shift across and, and cut off a, a three technique trying to penetrate on with a, um, with the pull. So um, they've been doing a lot of that um, as part of their play action game. Um, and he's been holding up. They, they obviously trust him on screens. As you say, the pin pull kind of stuff in the, in the run game. Um, if Brandon Sheriff is, is back healthy, which I'm not sure he will be, but he, I, I know he's been kind of working to the side at practice um, the last few days. So um, I guess there's a chance Um when those two are together, they, they love those pin, pin pull runs to the right um, with those two pulling out and they do a phenomenal job doing that. So uh, yeah, Chase Rulier has been playing very well. Um, and the, the thing that has stood out to me more than anything else has been the, with Sam Cosme being a rookie at right tackle, he's, he struggled early. Um, and, and what the offensive lines were trying to do is let Brandon Sheriff slide across to him as often as possible. Obviously, they'll they'll chip every now and again and with a tight end or what have you. But they've been trying more often than not to have Sheriff slide across, and, and that will often leave Rudier one-on-one with, with a nose tackle. Um, and he's been picking that up very well. Um, so overall, I, I think he's been doing a phenomenal job. Um, how he'll do one-on-one with Kenny Clark, that, that's, I, I don't know if he'll handle that necessarily one-on-one the whole game. Um, and, and obviously, you wouldn't design that as the plan. Um, and without Cosme at right tackle to worry about, or perhaps without the, um, the pass rushers that you mentioned that are out missing um, on the edge, that they might not necessarily have to slide the guard out to help on the right tackle side. So uh, they might be able to keep a little bit more solid um, interior and, and double up on Clark. Uh, I'd imagine that will probably be their, their focus with their pass protection plan this week. Flipping to the other side of the ball. Um, just want to talk about green Bay a little bit on the front end. Uh, David Bakhtiari has returned to practice. He has 20, what now it's 19 days uh, to return to the team off of IR. 
Um, I don't know if he's going to go this week. I would assume that he's probably not just because the way that they've talked about him, they've basically said, we don't want to rush it. Right. So whenever you hear the staff say, we don't want to rush it, I'm immediately going to think, all right, he's not going to play this week. So that's kind of this situation up front. Josh Myers is out uh, at center. They had a backup come in, Lucas Patrick. He did actually a pretty good job. Everyone uh, on that staff said that he graded up as their top offensive lineman and in uh, last week. So I don't think that's going to change by any means. The, their weak point is kind of Royce Newman, who's been playing right guard for him. He did really well in the preseason and he's had some struggles. Um, some of it has been like mental lapses and not being able to pa- pass off stunts correctly. Um, but Billy Turner at right tackle has kind of been just like the only vet on their line who has started every game. Um, right. And Rogers is, you know, has applauded him and said, you know, maybe he should be considered for uh, pro bowl this year. I don't know if I would go that far, but he's been doing pretty solid. So up front, even though they've had a lot of kind of turnover, I mean, they're, they, at certain points, they had Elton Jenkins out, they had David Bakhtiari out, and now they have Josh Myers, their center out. So that whole kind of left side of the line has been a little bit of, of a trouble. And then right guard, uh, they've had some issues, but Billy Turner's kind of been that guy. Um, offensively, I think their biggest problem right now, obviously, MVS is out, so they don't have a speed guy downfield. That, that's another thing that should probably be noted. He hasn't returned to practice this week uh, with that hamstring injury that he sustained against uh, the, the Detroit Lions. Their biggest issue right now, they don't have tight ends that can play every down. And that, that's becoming increasingly important as they face good fronts. So, like, against Chicago, Chicago went into a lot of bear stuff, um, which kind of – takes out a lot of the zone game if you're if you're going to play bear basically what it is is you essentially have three defensive tackles up front right so when you have three defensive tackles up front you can't run inside run okay well you want to run outside right wrong the way that they line up their outside backers is they widen them out so you can't win one-on-one on those stretch blocks especially if it's robert tunyon going against robert quinn or khalil mack so now what do you do their answer was they ran a bunch of like power and counter essentially, but they couldn't get into it with Tunyon. They couldn't because right. Tunyon, Tunyon is getting his butt whooped in the run game. So you either have to concede and say, okay, Mercedes Lewis is out there. He's going to be able to get some of these blocks, but he can't block counter because you don't want him pulling and going across the formation. That's not what you want to do with him. You right. want him in a three point stance and you want him just teeing off against that defensive end. So they had to use uh, DeGuara, actually. You know, the guy everyone made fun of uh, for being a fullback or whatever. Um, they had to use him kind of as that move guy who would, you know, pull across the formation on, on counter and stuff. Sure. But DeGuara has gotten his ass ripped by Aaron Rodgers for not knowing what to do in the passing game. So there's a lot of things going on in that tight end room. Um, another thing to note, 95% of the time, this is a real stat, 95% of the time, that Robert Tunyon is lined up in the slot, it's a pass. And even filtered out of like empty stuff because Green Bay's going into a lot more empty this year um, instead of like split back gun and all sorts of stuff like that just because they're using the tight end to help kind of chip uh, these edge rushers when they had uh, Josh Nyman, you know, basically a practice squad player playing left tackle. They, they definitely needed a lot more help sure. uh, on, on the edges. Um, when they're not in empty, so they're like, Typical one back gun stuff, like what you think of, like when you think of shotgun, 
it's still 92% of the time passed when Robert Tunney's really? in the slot. Yes. And if I know that, Jack Del Rio should know that. And Ron <laughs> yeah. Rivera should know that, right? So, so that's that's one of my biggest worries coming into the game is just they're not really getting production out of the tight end position. And that's got to change at some point. And maybe that's their next, you know, recruiting uh, obstacle when a guy gets cut, you know, near the deadline and wants to chase a ring or something like that. And they add, add him for a vet minimum, maybe the next position's tight end, but they're just not getting it done up uh, done at that position. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, the good thing for the Packers in that regard is that Washington has been horrible defensively. Uh, and even if you're telling that you're going to pass uh, there, there's one thing knowing that, the pass is coming and for Washington, it's a completely different thing trying to defend that pass um, because their units have been so disjointed. Um, it, you, The weird thing is, is that the last few weeks, you, you would think that defensive line matches up well and gives Washington's defense an advantage. And I mean, it, it, it did last week you, you, against the Chiefs. Um, they had some injuries up front and you have that defensive line with four first rounders and, and you can chuck in Matt Ioannidis in there as well. Um, and you think that that should be enough to get pressure, and it did get some pressure, but it's such a disjointed unit. It's the defensive line, they've been doing a little bit better recently of running stunts and stuff but for, and games, but for the most part, it's just been four guys go rush, and they end up in the same lane, or uh, they break contain, and quarterbacks, are, especially guys like Rodgers, that can move around. Um, we saw it with Josh Allen, we saw it with Mahomes last week, like Chase Young, can be a little bit ill-disciplined still and, and he'll get run off the edge and and give that huge lane um for the quarterback to scramble to the right so that i think um is still a big plus for for the packers and trying to cover guys has just been a huge ordeal for washington they, they it seems like everyone's on different pages like the the secondary are all all individually talented guys, but you have a guy like William Jackson, who's more of a press man corner. You have a, uh, and opposite him, you have Kendall Fuller, who's more of a off guy, his own guy, likes to play with vision on the quarterback. And, and they don't, they don't kind of mix together well. And you've kind of seen that throughout the whole season so far is that it's kind of been a bunch of individuals occasionally making plays, but when it comes to a coverage unit, um, it's kind of all broken down and, gone terribly wrong and and they've given up a lot of big plays and a lot of points yeah and that's I think that's an indictment of the coaching staff right I think that's what everyone points to and says defensively they have issues because of the coaching staff when you have those four guys up front again we're just going to list them out right now Chase Young Deron Payne uh, Jonathan Allen Montez Sweat every NFL team would be in the market for every single one of those players and then uh, like you mentioned, I, I can't say his last name, Matt. Matt, Matt Ioannidis. Matt Ioannidis. Uh, I remember when I was watching, uh, I think it was like the NFL 1000 uh, project for Bleacher Report. I was breaking down like NFC uh, defensive linemen basically week to week. And he was a guy who even his rookie year, you know, you could see it. You're like, this is this is very much an NFL player. Um, yep. he, he might not be a stud, but if that's your third defensive tackle, like you're happier than a pig rolling crap. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> William Jackson's had up and down years before uh, Landon Collins obviously is good in certain situations. Like he's a very good drop down safety. Um, but beyond that, uh, if you're using him in the middle of the field or anything like that, obviously kind of his limitations show up. 
And then Kenneth Fuller is like kind of playing in the slot a little bit too, right? Like when they get into nickel, he kicks in. Yeah, they so they started the year with they have a, a rookie Benjamin St. Juice that um, they like they drafted because of his length and his ability to press. And, and the thought was is that they'd have the two kind of press corners and Jackson and St. Juice on the edge, um, and, and they'd have uh, Fuller slide into the slot, which is what he did in Washington before he got traded to the Chiefs in the Alex Smith deal. Um, but uh, he really struggled moving back into the slot, uh, particularly playing man coverage, um, and so what they've kind of done recently is they've gone to a, a three safety nickel package where uh, Cam Curl has kind of played what they call the Buffalo nickel, which is just big nickel. Um, and he's kind of been playing as, uh, as the, the nickel back and Kendall Fuller stayed outside. Um, and, and that's been a little bit better for Fuller, but they're, they're still struggling to get everyone on the same page because then you, you're playing a little bit more zone with that. Um, because you've got safeties trying to cover slot receivers and and then William Jackson has kind of been struggling on the other side to transition as a guy that's a, been a press man corner um, to now trying to play off coverage and, and zone and with vision and um, trying to match up different routes. That's not really his game and, and he's really struggled with that. Um, so it's kind of been a big mismatch. Um, and you mentioned Alan, Landon Collins that last week they ended up calling him a linebacker. And like, that's been the big story in Washington this week that Ron Rivera has said, uh, I, I see him as a downhill linebacker and Collins kind of is taking that as an insult because any safety probably would um but you know his, his coverage ability as you say deep is not very good um and he he has always been kind of a box safety and um better with his run fits than he has been as, as a coverage guy and that's kind of how they played him certainly last week against the chiefs he, he was he played maybe four or five snaps as kind of a deep half safety or a quarter safety but for the most part he was a, a linebacker in the box um, so it, yeah, it's been a very mismatchy set of parts for Washington on the back end, and uh, just about every week there, there's something new going wrong um, and different different holes popping up that they're trying to plug. How is uh, last guy defensively? I want to talk about Jamin Davis. How has he been playing? I, I broke him down again because I was working uh, Bleach Report stuff. I broke down kind of the front seven guys for him in this upcoming draft class. I never really saw first-round talent out of him. He obviously was very athletic. Um, He basically wasn't productive until his last year at Kentucky. He's a very young player in that, like, he wasn't even really starting um, until his last year at Kentucky. So he very much was, like, a raw guy who as soon as it kind of, like, clicked for him and that, like, he could be a feasible player on an SEC field, he then went to the draft. So that's always kind of tricky where it's like, ah – I wish you would have gotten more reps under you at the college level yeah. before you went pro, but he's obviously very athletic. Um, everything else I thought was kind of a little bit of a limitation. So he was kind of like a work in progress. How has his progress been, you know, this season? It's been very slow. Um, the, I, I think for me, when I watched him, I, I could see the talent and the potential there. And obviously the athleticism. Um, I, I thought he was a will. I, I think you put him as a will linebacker and you, you kind of keep him a little bit protected and, and he knows his role and he can play it. Um, they basically said, no, you're the Mike and we're going to try to put as much on your shoulders as possible and see what you can handle. And I understand that thinking long-term because if he can pick it up and 
he can get into the system early and, and make all those calls early, then you're set at the mic position long term. But he struggled picking it all up and, and making the calls. And you could see in preseason, he was playing Mike and they had John Bostick playing um, Will. And it was Bostick was the one making all the calls because he was the Mike backer last year. Um, so you could see Davis was struggling. And to the start of the season, Davis, every time there was a, a run play, he was a, a step late kind of diagnosing exactly what was going on and, and checking is the quarterback keeping that on a bootleg or, um, you know, where, where exactly was the ball, where exactly is my fit? And, and that would left him late to plays and, you know, let offensive linemen reach him that offensive linemen shouldn't be reaching him at all because he's incredibly athletic. So, um, you know, that that has been an issue for him and he's had a really slow start um, for the la- for the first five weeks. He, he I don't think he played more than 50 percent of the snaps in any of the games um, last week against the Chiefs. I think it started to click for him a little bit um, and, and they had Cole Holcomb take over the play calling. Um, and Holcomb's playing Sam, but he's still calling the plays. And Davis is kind of playing the mic, but playing the will at times as well. Um, they're kind of moving guys around up there. Um, as I say, it's quite flexible with where guys are playing right now. Uh, Landon Collins is in the mix up there as well. So um, last week we saw him start to be a little bit more instinctive and and start to trigger a little bit quicker and you know he notices a pulling guard he's like okay that's i've that's power i've got to get outside there and and scrape to the edge and and make that play so you you know he's he's starting to get there slowly um and they obviously they want him on the field because of his sorry athleticism and his coverage ability um and his coverage potential certainly um and we saw a little bit of that but because he's been so slow in the run game um they've not been able to trust him on the field that much um but i I think john bostick got hurt and and he's out so it's basically been either they play Holcomb and Davis together, or they've been experimenting with this five D line package and uh, five and a, and a big nickel. So it's literally just been Cole Holcomb, the only linebacker on the field. Um, so they've been kind of hiding him a little bit there. But last week we saw him finally start to get a little bit more reps and and show a little bit more of the potential that he does have. I I do always wonder whenever you get like the head coach who coaches a, who's played the position at a high level and then drafts an athletic guy a little too high at that same position, how much that comes into play, right? Like how can you go into the room? Like you're a scout for the Washington football team and you're telling Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio, both who played linebacker at the NFL level, like, no, this guy can't play. He's athletic, but I don't know if you can coach him up. I I don't think that they're going to take, you can't coach him up uh, too well. You know what I mean? Like that, that's always something I wonder. And then you brought up the green dot. That definitely is something that matters in terms of like, just getting the comms in and being able to get guys set right um even a guy like miles jack will tell you uh he's better when he doesn't have the green dot that's a pro bowl caliber uh linebacker at the nfl level telling you i i don't really like having the comps i don't like having all that i would just kind of want to line up and chase and run and play and for a lot of those athletic guys i mean it might be better to kind of take that off of their plate um let's get into predictions uh and wrap this up because i know you got to get out of here Packers, football team, the Packers are double-digit favorites. How, how are you feeling? 
I would say that's probably about right. <laughs> the the only, it's weird because every week I, I kind of talk myself into thinking, well, if this is the week the defensive line clicks, they can take over a game because they're that talented and, and maybe that gives them a chance. And as you say, there's, the Packers have had some issues up front and um, the def- maybe the defensive line has been steadily improving and, and they're getting their act together. But I, I just, I don't trust the coverage behind them to hold up. And there's kind of been a, a pattern emerging of how teams have been attacking them and getting the ball out quickly. And Washington just doesn't have, have a, an answer for it. So um, I, I think I'd, I'd be surprised if Washington came particularly close to to even keeping the game within a score. I, th- I think I agree with you. I would still take I, I would not bet on this game, frankly, um, <laughs> with the line that's out there right now, just because I think the the book on how to slow Green Bay down, at least, not necessarily beat them, but slow them down is kind of out there. You're seeing every team do it to them. They come out in the they come out in the game defensively, they play too high. They basically do that and then just it's just bloodletting, right? Just the slow churn down the field until you go up two scores and then they have to start getting into pressure packages and stuff like that. The one benefit into playing that way is that if you can get a sack, the drive's dead, right? We watched that against uh, Chicago. Um, just, it, it only takes one play. If, if, you're, if you're forcing them to every play, you, it's just chipping down the field and you can get one positive, they're off the field. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, so that would kind of be my hesitation there on, on betting on Green Bay in terms of like the point spread. The other thing too, Chicago only allowed 24 points. Green Bay actually converted in, in the red zone uh, this past week. They went three of uh, four for touchdowns. And Green Bay on a per play basis had the highest EPA of any team last week. Really? They only scored 24 points because they only got like six possessions in the whole game. It's just right. you just mark it up and then defensively, their run game outside of Kenny Clark isn't good enough to get teams off of the field. Devondre Campbell's had a great season too. Um, he should legitimately be in the Pro Bowl uh, voting conversation uh, whenever he's up. But they just don't have a lot of dudes up front right now, and part of that is outside linebacker just being so banged up. But there's not a lot of defensive line talent out there either. I mean, you're basically hoping that Dean Lowry gets like three penetration plays in the backfield every week, kind of yeah. um, to, just to help your run defense. So I'm kind of on the same page with you. Um, I don't know if this is necessarily like bloodbath level. I don't, I don't think your team is banged up enough for that unless, you know, all these wide receivers are out. So that that's the big thing I would think, you know, you, you can watch some of these teams like uh, Indianapolis right now was a great example against uh, uh, Baltimore uh, a couple of weeks ago on, I think it was Monday night um, where they're down to their fourth and fifth cornerback. And then Lamar's, it's just like he's throwing on air. It's like seven, <laughs> seven, basically, right? You can get some of those teams like that. But that's when you see the bloodbath is the cluster injuries, especially at prevention positions, right? Like the secondary or the offensive line. I don't think Washington's in that situation right now. So I'm going to take Green Bay, but I would not bet on this game. Yep, I, I think that's totally fair. Uh, do you want to plug your stuff again on the back end right now? Uh, sure, Candy. Um, so uh, my Twitter is uh, at Mark Bullock NFL, uh, and uh, my Substack again was uh, markbullock.substack.com. There we go. Appreciate the time, Mark.
Uh, of course, anytime. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS VIA, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash VIYA.